Thank you for joining us at Key Life Fellowship for our pulpit ministry podcast. Each sermon on this podcast is from our 11 a.m. Sunday service. We are glad that you have joined us digitally, but would love to see you in person on Sunday mornings at either 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Now, let's open God's Word and ask Him to reveal His truths for our lives. Turn to John chapter 8, and we will be picking up where we left off in our journey in the Gospel of John. We will be picking up in verse 13. After, via intro, we will look at verse 12 to remind us what happened last week in our study together. We know that in verse 12 of chapter 8, the Lord said this, He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Last week we took the time to examine that one particular verse and to break that down as to how Jesus is truly the light of the world. And what does that mean? To those of us who were once in darkness who have been brought into the light as He leads us and He guides us into His will and His plan for our life. But today we're going to see when we get to verse 13... On the hills of Jesus' second I am statement, if you'll remember with me his first I am statement, he said, I am the bread of life. His second I am statement, what we looked at last week, I am the light of the world. We know that that Greek term, ego, I, me, I am, was in both instances referring to the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was letting them know that I am the God in reference to the bread who fed you with manna, pointing to Me. I am also the God who shines light into darkness, who is here in your midst, shining light into your sin, into your darkness. And on saying this, we get to verse 13, and we're going to encounter these Pharisees, these wicked, sinful Pharisees, who in their error, They're going to counter Jesus' I am statement by trying or attempting to invalidate Him. We're going to see this in a message entitled, Wicked Man's Erroneous Attempt to Snuff Out the Light of the World. I know that's a long title, but that's why we put it on the screen so that you can see it. But I want us to see that wicked man has always and will always to continue in their error to try to snuff out the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ, the light of the world. And we can learn something from this testimony here in John chapter 8 of those wicked men who in their error attempt to snuff out the light of the world. And I'll go ahead and tell you this before we get there. Aren't you thankful that try as they may, wicked man cannot snuff out the truth of Jesus Christ. They cannot snuff out the Gospel message. They cannot snuff out the light of the world. But we're going to see today in this text, starting in verse 13, that they are going to try. Verse 13 says this, says the Pharisees challenge Him, Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. What an accusation to the one true God who is standing before them in flesh. 
And they say to him, your testimony of being the light of the world. Let's keep it in its context. That was the testimony that he just gave. I am God, the light of the world. The one who led you as a pillar of fire by night through the wilderness. I am he. They say your testimony is not valid. Verse 14, it says, Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. Isn't it interesting that He says that? For all the people who say, well, Jesus didn't judge. Let me just assure you of this. Jesus didn't have to judge. Jesus knew all things. He knew the heart of wicked men. He knows their wicked hearts right now. He knows why they're trying to invalidate Him. He says, I pass no judgment on anyone. But if I do judge... My decisions are right because I'm not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. I assure you of this, on Judgment Day, when He does judge rightly, His decisions will be right. They will not be questioned. They will not be ridiculed and they will not be invalidated. He will judge rightly. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two men is valid. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they ask him, where is your father? What a statement. Where is your father? We're going to find out quickly. They have no idea what Jesus is really talking about. He says, you do not know me or my father. Jesus replied, if you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his time had not yet come. Let me assure you of this. That is not a verse that we need to just read over and pay no attention to. That's why I have included it today in this message. And we're going to talk about why that's so important in a moment. But I want us to see that these men in error, in sin, they are attempting to snuff out or invalidate the light of the world. They're attempting once again to take Jesus as He claims to be God and to say this is not true. We know we live in a time where many people are still erroneously in their sinful natures trying to stamp out the truth of Jesus Christ. And so we look at this and we see this. Why did these men do this? How did this happen? Why would such a thing occur. We see that in their erroneous attempt to snuff out the light of the world, these wicked men, write this down, they first of all dismissed Jesus' claims. They dismissed His claims. Verse 12, He claims again to be God. I am the light of the world. And they're going to begin to immediately dismiss His claims, just like they did in His first I am statement when He revealed to them that I am the bread that came down from heaven. They refused to believe that. Here they are again, dismissing Jesus' claims. Verse 13, it says they challenged Him. Who do they think they are? To step up and and go toe-to-toe with God incarnate. But that's exactly what they're doing here. They dismiss the claims of Jesus. They step up and they challenge Him. Says the Pharisees challenge him, here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. 
they dismissed Jesus' claims. We see first that they dismiss His claim of deity. They dismiss Jesus' claim of deity. Verse 12, that is exactly what He was doing there. As we revisit 12, in light of this message today, He is claiming His deity. Again, we don't have to revisit this in detail. If you've been in the study, you know I am is in the Greek ego, I me, which is the Greek equivalent for the Hebrew Yahweh. He is saying to them unequivocally, I am God. I am the God who led you out of Egypt during the exodus through the wilderness. I am the God who led you into the promised land. I am He. And they are saying this is not valid. You're not God. They dismiss Jesus' claim of deity. And when we dismiss the claim of Jesus' deity, we run into grave error. And I assure you of this, and I have done my homework and studied this enough to confidently tell you that every single cult and every single false religion is based on a belief system that dismisses the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a prophet. Or He was a good man. Or He did good things. Or He helped some social issues. But they neglect to see what Jesus was revealing about Himself. I am God. And they deny the claim of Jesus' deity. They dismiss it. It's a mark of all cults, false religions. It is the mark of all unbelievers who have not been enlightened to the truth that Jesus is truly God. Mark it. It's a fact. By dismissing the claim of Jesus' deity, they do three things. And I want you to pay attention to these things. First, when they dismiss the claim of Jesus' deity, they dismiss His co-eternality with the Father. His co-eternality with the Father. What does that mean? That means they are co-eternal. Just as the Father is eternal, so is the Son. The Son was not an afterthought. God did not look into time and see that man was going to mess it up and said, hmm, I need a son, so I'm going to make a son. Jesus Christ was not created. He is eternal. He has always existed and He has always, always existed as co-eternal with the Father and co-eternal with the Holy Spirit. In fact, John chapter 1, when we were there, I hope you remember this. John says this in verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's talking about Logos. We know that is Christ because in verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It is Christ who came as God in flesh to dwell among us. And when you dismiss the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, you dismiss His co-eternality with the Father, forgetting that Jesus is the eternal Savior. He's not some afterthought. He's not some Oh, what am I going to do? Panic that God has gone into because man felt the sin, so I must make a Savior. God has already known the beginning from the end. In eternity past, in the wise counsel of a triune God, all of this has already been ordained. But when we dismiss the deity of Jesus Christ, we can reduce Him, can't we? We can reduce Him to whatever it is that we want Him to be. Be that a good man. Be that a prophet. Be that a peacemaker. Be that a sappy lover of everyone and everything. Be that the bearded woman that we have reduced Him to in our church culture and society. But Jesus claimed in verse 12 to be God. We cannot 
dismiss that. In fact, Hebrews chapter 1, the, the author of Hebrews references Christ going back to the Old Testament and borrowing from there. It says in verse 8, but about the Son, he says. Who does the author of Hebrews say that he's talking about? The Son. Here's, here's what the author of Hebrews says that the Old Testament said about the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal one. He says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. And righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. And you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. The author of Hebrews says that Jesus Christ, the Son, is everlasting God. But to dismiss His claim of deity is to dismiss His co-eternality with the Father. And to do that is to step from orthodoxy into heresy. You must be very careful. Secondly, when we dismiss the claim of Jesus' deity, not only do we dismiss Jesus' co-eternality with the Father, we dismiss Jesus' co-equality with the Father. Oh, many people think that God's up here and a little bit lower than God is Jesus. And that is not the case. Jesus is God. We must see that and we must understand that. Why? Because it's consistent in what Jesus said about Himself. He is God. In fact, the Apostle Paul says this in the Colossian letter, verse 9 of chapter 2. He says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. How much of it? Some of it? A limited amount? A scotian or scoonch? No. He says the fullness and all of the fullness of God and His deity lives in Christ the Son. You say, well, why is that important? Because if you believe anything else, you reduce Jesus into something that Scripture says that He's not. And a low view of Jesus has found Christianity in a tough spot, hasn't it? But Jesus says, I'm God. And they dismissed His claim of deity. Dismissing His co-eternality with God. Dismissing His co-equality with God. That He and in Him lived all of the fullness of the deity in bodily form. When Christ came to this earth, God in flesh came to this earth. That when Christ died on a cross, God in flesh died on a cross in my place. Oh, what an honor that is. What a picture of grace that is. The God that I offended by my sin died in my place in His flesh on the cross. He bore my sin and exchanged for my sin imputed to me His righteousness. Well, if you're not astounded by that picture, you might need to really search your heart today and see if you truly know the God of the Bible through Jesus Christ, the Son. They dismissed His co-equality with the Father. Number three, they dismissed His co-essence with the Father. His co-essence with the Father. He says, I and the Father are one. We'll see that in John chapter 10, verse 30. I and the Father are one. And they dismissed it. They dismissed it wanting to trust in God, though their trust was in vain, and to snuff out Christ who was all of the representation of the fullness of God 
standing in their very midst. They dismissed His coessence with the Father by dismissing His deity. Oh, it is the same as what we do when we dismiss His deity in our culture. We dismiss who He really is. He is co-eternal with the Father. He is co-equal with the Father. And He is in co-essence. He shares the essence and glory of the Father. Many people reduce Him to so much less. I know what I'm going to get accused of in approaching Jesus like this. You really make Jesus a big deal. One foolish person said at one time, it's almost as if you make Jesus as big as God. Exactly. He's co-eternal. He's co-equal. We mustn't forget that. Because the wicked and perverse and dying world is constantly dismissing Jesus' claim of deity. He says, I am the light of the world. They said, no you're not. That's invalid. We're not believing it. They dismiss His claim of deity. Next, I want you to see that they dismissed not only His claim of deity, they dismissed Jesus' claim to rescue sinners from darkness. Verse 12, revisiting that again. What did He say? He said, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows Me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus claims there to be the one who rescues sinners from their darkness. Those of you who were in sin, you know this. You were in darkness. And He shined His light into your life and He moved you out of darkness and into light through His regenerating power. It's all glory to Him. They dismiss this. They dismiss Jesus' claim to rescue sinners from darkness. Why? They didn't want to admit they were in darkness. They refused the light. By dismissing Jesus, they affirmed that. But they refused the light. John chapter 3, we learned this in verse 19. It said, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Why did they refuse the light? For fear that their deeds would be exposed. Many of you, week after week after week, you hear the message and the testimony and the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Hearing that He is the light. Hearing that He is the only way to salvation. That He is the only way of cleansing of sin. And you continually, in your sinful flesh, refuse the light. They were refusing the light. You know why you refused the light? The same reason that they refused the light. Because you love your sin more than you love God. Because you love your sin more than you love God. You say, preacher, that's a harsh statement to make. Who do you think you are? I'm a guy who once loved my sin more than I love God. And it wasn't until God shined His light into my life that I saw the wickedness of my sin. And when I saw the wickedness of my sin, I fell on my face in repentance and faith and trusted in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone as my Lord and my Savior and the only one who could atone for my wickedness. Why do men not come into the light? Why do they refuse the light? Why were these men refusing the light? Because their deeds were dark. You refuse the light because your deeds are dark and you do not want the light of Jesus Christ to expose your deeds. Why? Because you love your sin more than you love God. I pray today that God would change your heart. That you would see your sin for what it is. It is death. That there is the gift of God in Jesus Christ who is Lord. That you would turn to Him and turn to Him alone today save you from the darkness of your sin and the punishment that sin will require. 
They refused the light. Number two, they dismissed Jesus' claim to rescue sinners from darkness because they refused the light. But two, it proves that they remained in their darkness. Proves that they remained in their darkness. Why? Because there's only two options, isn't there? I know we live in a world where people want to create that there's more than two options. There is either darkness or there is light. There is no in-between. You are either hot or you are cold. In fact, lukewarm, he says, I'll spew from my mouth. But we live in a church culture where we have designed other things. But can I tell you what the Bible says? The Bible says you are either in darkness and sin, or you are in the light of Jesus Christ and you have been delivered from sin. You are either in the darkness of death, which will lead to eternal death if you don't repent, or you are in the light of life that He spoke about just last week in verse 12. But you can't be in both at the same time. You are either one or you are the other. And these men, because they rejected and refused the light, I assure you of this, they remained in darkness. They remained in darkness. Dismissing the claim that Jesus was the one who rescues sinners from darkness. I can tell you this, I'll give you my own brief testimony. Had Jesus not rescued me from darkness, there would be no other hope. Because He's the only one who rescues sinners from darkness. They remained in their darkness because they didn't want their sins to be exposed. And in making that choice to remain in their darkness, they rejected the only Savior. He says, I am the light of life. I can assure you of this today. You reject Jesus Christ. You reject the only Savior. There is no other Savior who's going to come in at the last minute and say, okay, I'll save you. Since you didn't want Jesus to save you, here's another way. There is no other way. There's one way to the Father, and that way to the Father is through Christ the Son who gave Himself on a cross in your place. And to refuse to come into the light, you willingly remain in the darkness, and you openly reject Jesus as the only Savior, the light of life who He claimed to be there in verse 12. They refused to see Jesus as the Savior for sinners. I pray to God today that if you're here, you are refusing to see Jesus as the only hope for the sinner. That today, God would knock those scales from your eyes, that He would open your eyes to the truth, and that you would see that Jesus is the only hope that any sinner ever has of being rescued from darkness. And as He opens your eyes today, that you would believe and repent and trust in Him. And I assure you of this, the light of life will lead you into life and life eternal. They dismissed Jesus' claim to rescue sinners from darkness, just as they dismissed His deity. Thirdly, in dismissing Jesus' claims that He made while He was here, we see that they dismissed Jesus' claim of divine origin. Look in verse 14. Verse 13, we know this. We're not skipping it. This is where they challenge Him. But verse 14, it says, Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. We're not talking here about Jesus as being created when we see Him as the only begotten of God. He is the only one of God who was begotten to come and to rescue sinners. 
we see that we are talking here about His origin. Not His origin from creation because He is uncreated. But His origin from where did He come from into this earth. And He makes that very clear. He lets them know. You fail to see my true identity. They dismiss His claims because they failed to see His true identity. His first I am statement, flip back there to John chapter 6. They couldn't see it there either. John chapter 6, when Jesus claims that I am the bread of life, verse 46, no one has seen the Father except the One who is from God. He's speaking of Himself. Only He has seen the Father. And I tell you the truth, He who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. It is Jesus there in His first I am statement revealing His true identity. That He is the bread of heaven come down from the Father. Here He is again. I am the light of the world. I am the light come down from the Father. They failed to see His true identity. Not only did they fail to see His true identity, dismissing His claim of divine origin, they forfeited the way to the Father in heaven. Jesus has told them, I am the way to the Father. How am I the way to the Father? No one has seen the Father but Me. We know that John 14.6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by Me. Why? He's the only one who knows the way to the Father. And what they are doing here in dismissing His claim of divine origin, they are missing out on the only way to the Father. Well, I want you to see that today. Please see that in our messed up culture. Well, there are so many ways as people are in error in saying to God. There are not Many ways that lead to God. There is only one who has seen the Father. And there is only one who can allow us to enter into the Father's presence. And it is by Him that we have hope of this, or we have no hope at all. And He is Jesus the Christ, the light of the world. But yet they forfeited the way to the Father. They had, in their own mind, another way. And their way was to work out their own righteousness through a legalistic set of rules. They would not admit how they had miserably felled from that and they needed God's grace and forgiveness. They dismissed Jesus' claim of divine origin. Failing to see His true identity, forfeiting the only way to the Father in heaven. And they forsook God's provided Messiah. These men knew the Word of God. They knew it backward and forward. They knew the Old Testament. And everything that Jesus had already done up until this point that we have studied in the Gospel of John, they were all things pointing to the fact that He truly is the Messiah. And here, they are forsaking God's provided Messiah. Can I assure you of this? If you forsake God's provided Messiah, there is no hope for you. There is no hope for you apart from Jesus Christ. And here they are actively forsaking God's provided Messiah. 
The one who the Father had sent from heaven. That's what Jesus is telling him them here in verse 14. He is telling them. He knows where He came from. He knows where He's going. But they have no idea where He came from or where He is going. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen, just before he was martyred, he preaches a powerful sermon to these same people. To these same stiff-necked, unbelieving, wicked men. And he preaches this to them. He says in verse 51 of Acts chapter 7, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. Well, they knew exactly what he was saying when he used the term uncircumcised. He was saying unredeemed hearts and unredeemed ears. You can't receive the truth and you can't hear the truth. You're just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. He's saying your wicked fathers did the same thing that you're doing now. They killed the prophets who predicted even the Christ who is standing here before you. And now you have betrayed and murdered Him. You who have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. They had forsaken God's provided Messiah. He is already here only in John chapter 8. He has already revealed His identity numerously. Here they are again. Wholly forsaking who the Scriptures say that Christ is. They dismissed His claims. Secondly, in their erroneous attempt to snuff out the light of the world, these same wicked men depended on human reasoning. Oh, what a danger we see that it, that is. What a danger we see that it is in our culture and society to depend on human reasoning, right? People want to put their faith in science. People want to put their faith in education. People want to put their faith in intellect. They put their faith in all of these things and neglect to put their faith in God, their faith in Christ, their faith in the truth of the Word of God. They depend only on human reasoning. These unbelievers here in their sinful condition are doing the same thing. The unfortunate thing is that when we put our trust in or depend upon human reasoning, we put our trust in a depraved mind. These men were putting their trust in their depraved mind. The danger of that is that sinful man cannot discern the things of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 tells us that. They were depending upon their own human reasoning. Let's look at it. Verse 15. You judge by human standards. Jesus let them know. You're depending on your human reasoning. I pass judgment on no one. He's saying I pass judgment on no one by human standards. He's saying, I use a completely different standard than you. I don't have to judge as you judge. But if I do judge, my decisions are right. Why? Because He doesn't judge based on human standards. If I judge, my judgments are right. Because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two men is valid. And I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. I want you to see as they erroneously attempt to snuff out the light of the world here in verses 15 through 18, 
It is because they were depending on human reasoning. They depended upon human reasoning, write this down, instead of spiritual discernment. Jesus said, I'm not judging you with human reasoning as you are judging me. Their flawed human reasoning caused them to question Jesus' testimony. You ever met that person who's too smart for his own good? Oh, I don't believe in Christ because science hasn't proven Jesus. Science is man-made ideology. Science is human reasoning. We have to see that. We don't measure things as Christians by science. We ask ourselves, what does the Word of God say? And if science aligns with the Word of God, I'm good with science. If reasoning aligns with the Word of God, I'm good with reasoning. But the moment that it contradicts the Word of God, it is something that came from a depraved human mind. We must see it as such. Instead of spiritual discernment, they depended on their own human reasoning, their own flawed human mind. Be careful of this. They doubted because they reasoned from their sinful intellect. Oh, the same sinful intellect that allows you to lust after a woman who is not your wife. The same human intellect who allows you to covet your neighbor's things. The same human intellect that causes you to fall into idolatry. That same human intellect. Do you really want to put your trust in that? Jesus is making this very clear to them that they ought not to trust in that kind of reasoning, but yet they still did. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 says this, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. He goes back and he quotes the Old Testament, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Verse 20 goes on to say, Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God through uh, the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know Him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. He said, through the wisdom of the world, through the wisdom of the world, they didn't know God. But through the foolishness of Christ. They could know God. And they could be saved. And here they are putting their hope in the wisdom of this world. Oh, how we see our culture downwardly escalating into the pits of hell all the while they are trusting in human intellect and human reasoning instead of spiritual discernment. Romans chapter 8, verse 7 says that the sinful man in his sinful mind, he is hostile to the things of God. Why would we think for a second that our sinful human reasoning would lead us into the things of God? In fact, what that will do, it will lead us away from the things of God and will lead us into deeper and darker sin. Jonathan Edwards said it like this. He said, Christ is the true light of the world. It is through Him alone that true wisdom is imparted to the mind. True wisdom is imparted through the light of Christ and that alone. 
Jonathan Edwards knew of spiritual discernment because the Bible describes for us how spiritual discernment happens. Happens through the cross of Jesus Christ. What the intellectual world would call foolishness. But what God calls true wisdom. Their flawed human reasoning calls them to question Jesus' testimony. Their flawed human reasoning calls them to question Jesus' true authority. Look at verse 16. Verse 16 is they question His authority, but if I do judge, my decisions are right because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. Jesus is saying, I stand in the same authority as the Father who sent me. These wicked men questioning that. His authority. But His authority came up from the Father and was true. But because they were in darkness and because they were in sin, they could not see the authority and the truth that Jesus spoke with. They depended only upon human reasoning. Again, we see it in our day so often. With their thought human intellect, they spend their whole life trying to disprove the foolishness of the cross. But I know this, and Scripture confirms to this, that one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. We cannot depend upon our human reasoning and truly see who Jesus really is. These men did. Instead of spiritual discernment, they resorted to human intellect. Not only that, they depended on human reasoning and the fact that they were ignoring God's Word. They were ignoring God's Word. Look at verse 17. As we see them ignore the Word of God, He says to them, Jesus in verse 17, in your own law, it is written that the testimony of two men is valid. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. They were ignoring God's Word. The law prescribed two witnesses. Jesus is going to call them to account on this. That Deuteronomy 19 verse 15 states that a matter must be established by two or three witnesses. We see that even over in the New Testament in regard to disciplining elders. It had to be established on two or three witnesses. And here it is, as Jesus is saying, you've already forgotten what the truth is. The truth is this. I've got my witnesses. One is me. And the other is the Father. And you're ignoring the fact that I have presented exactly as the Word has prescribed my witnesses. Jesus presented, presented Himself and He presented the Father as all the testimony and witness that He needed. At that moment, they should have said, you're right. That is what the law says. That is what our law commands. And you have testified to both. That's not what happened. They continued to depend on their human reasoning, ignoring the Word of God. Isn't that the pattern that we see so often? John chapter 5. We see this same scenario as it played out in chapter 5. We will look at it again. He says in verse 36, I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the very work that the Father has given me to finish and which I am doing testifies that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has Himself testified concerning me. How did He testify concerning Him? We could, we could go to His baptism. We could say at His baptism, we know this. And He said, this is My Son in whom I am well pleased. But he wasn't just talking about that. 
He's talking about so much more. He says, you've never heard His voice nor seen His form. Nor does His Word dwell in you. For you do not believe the One He sent. You diligently study the Scriptures because you think by, by them you possess eternal life. These are the Scriptures that testify about Me. Jesus says, you've missed Me and the Father's testimony in the Scriptures all this time. He says, you've seen it, yet you refuse to come to Me to have life. Jesus was saying, my testimony is adequate. My testimony is adequate according to the law from the Word of God. My testimony is adequate even in regard to your rabbinical traditions and teaching. I've given valid testimony. Remember, verse 13, the whole reason that we're looking at this message today is because they were saying your testimony is not valid. Jesus says, yes, it is. It's valid. The Pharisees paid no attention to God's Word in regard to His testimony. It wasn't what they wanted to hear. Oh, don't we see that today? But the Word of God says, I don't care what the Word of God says, I don't want to hear that. The Word of God is an outdated book. No, it's not. It is the very words of life. It is the only absolute truth that we can put our hands on in this world. I assure you of that. It is inerrant, infallible. It is inspired by God from cover to cover. But yet the world wants to try to constantly dismiss its authority. Just as the Pharisees did. They didn't want to hear it. I'll give us something else. I have nothing else to give you. Silver and gold have I none. But I do have the words of life found in Scripture. And I do have the Gospel that I find in the pages of this inspired Word of God. And I can give you the Gospel which I promise you this. The riches of all the world shrink in comparison to what is offered in the Gospel of Jesus Christ and the life that He gives. These Pharisees paid no attention to God's Word. It was completely ignored. The Word that they said they hung their hat upon. Jesus says, you don't even see Me in it. You've missed it. You think that you find eternal life in these words, but yet you don't pay attention to them. And here I am standing before you and you're invalidating my claims. Which brings us to the third aspect of this erroneous attempt to snuff out the light of the world. And these wicked men, we see this, that it divulged their ignorance. It divulged their ignorance. Now before you get on to me for calling them ignorant, I too was once Ignorant spiritually. But in what is about to transpire in these last two verses, we're going to see it reveals their ignorance spiritually. Verse 19, it says this, then they asked Him, where is your father? He hasn't been talking about Joseph this whole time. They're wondering about Joseph. They're looking, remember, from a carnal human perspective. Where is he? And Jesus said, you do not know Me or My Father. If you knew Me, you would know My Father also. And He spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized Him because His time had not yet come. In their erroneous attempt to snuff out the light of the world, these wicked men divulge their ignorance. Isn't that what wicked men really do when they try to snuff out Jesus? They divulge their ignorance. They revealed here that they were ignorant to the truth of God. Why were they ignorant to the truth of God? Because Jesus said they were. <laughs> Why did He say this? Because they 
were sinfully born. These men had not yet been born again. In fact, John chapter 3, we learned in verse 3, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is what? Born again. And so we know that he's not talking to a group of born again believers here. He's talking to wicked men who in their sinful error are trying to snuff out the light of the world. And Jesus allows them to just divulge their own ignorance. That they are sinfully born. You say, that's kind of harsh, Kirk. Let me tell you this. I was ignorant in my sinful birth. I was ignorant to the things of God. I was ignorant to the Word of God. I was ignorant to the love of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God. But it wasn't until God, who is rich in mercy, lavished His love upon me in Christ. I was going along minding my own sinful business when He sovereignly regenerated me from my filth and darkness. And here we see a group of men who are not regenerate. They were sinfully born. Not only were they sinfully born, they were satanically controlled. Satanically controlled is something that we don't like to think about, right? But did you know this? Those who are not in Christ are controlled by two things, your sin and Satan. How do I know this? Because Scripture confirms this. 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, it says, the whole world is controlled by the evil one. The whole world. What is that talking about? All of those who are not in Christ are in the world. All of darkness is controlled by the evil one. If you are not in Christ, you are controlled by Satan. You say that's scary, isn't it? Isn't it? It's scary to know had God not intervened by His grace in my life that I would have been controlled by Satan. Controlled by my sin. And I would have suffered and perished in hell for all eternity right next to Him because of my sin. I'm thankful that my gracious Savior opened my eyes. Why? Because He is the light of the world and He exposed me to my darkness. Why? So I could cry out to Him the light of life that He would forgive me and wash me and cleanse me. These men were satanically controlled, divulging their ignorance, sinfully born, satanically controlled, and spiritually blind. In fact, in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 14, the Lord references the same group of wicked Pharisees. He tells His disciples, leave them. They are blind guides. If a man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. He said, leave those blind guides. Lead those who are, leave those who aren't leading you to follow the light of the world. Leave those who are not leading you to follow Jesus Christ. Because someone who is leading you to follow anything other than Jesus Christ is going to lead you into a trap. Jesus said, leave them. They're spiritually blind. And because they're spiritually blind, everyone who is following them and their spiritual blindness is going to fall into the pit. What a warning from the Savior. What a warning in our day. Stop following those who are spiritually blind. I don't care if they wear the title church leader. Stop following these people who parade around and present themselves as angels of light, but they do not lead you to Christ. Because a true servant of God will always lead you to Christ. Out of darkness and into light. They revealed that they were ignorant of to the truth of God. They also revealed, as they divulged their ignorance, uh, that they were ignorant to the things of God. That's why I told you verse 20 has some importance here. 
Verse 20, the first part there, says He spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put. We see that this statement here reveals their ignorance of the things of God. See where they are in this context. Here at the temple, at a place of worship. Not only at a place of worship, but they were specifically at a place where they would leave their offerings. And here they are presenting themselves as religious at a place of worship, at a place where they leave their offerings, but yet they were ignorant to the things of God. How do I know that they were ignorant to the things of God? Because they were okay with just coming to the temple to worship and coming to the temple to leave offerings, but they were not seeking the light of the world. In fact, the only seeking of the light of the world that we see in their life was to seek to snuff Him out and to remove Him from the face of the earth. They had forgotten what the Word of God says. They were ignorant of God's system. They were content with going through the motions of a religious system. Why? Because it's what they had always done. But they were not remembering what the prophets had said. Hosea says this, Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. Hosea speaks and he says, For I desire mercy, revealing the heart of God. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Here they are in the place of giving offering to God in the temple courts, Knowing what Hosea says, that he desires mercy and not sacrifice, and he he desires that you acknowledge God. And here is God standing before them in flesh, and they are trying to invalidate Him, not acknowledging Him. What a sad statement that is. They had forgotten what we see in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, when it says, But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. They knew that God desired obedience to His voice. Here Jesus, the light of the world, speaking as God. Why? Because He is God. And He is there speaking to them in all of His deity. And they are ignoring the voice of God in the area of worship an offering. Oh, how many times do we see that happen in modern church culture? We ignore the voice of God straight from His Word while we go through our religious motions pretending as if that somehow counts for something. God says it counts for nothing. I want you to acknowledge God rather than burnt offerings. I want you to desire my mercy more than you desire sacrificing. I want you to obey me in my voice more than you desire to go through your religious rituals. They're ignorant of God's system. They thought God's system was a system of ritual. God's system is so much more. It is acknowledging who He is and obediently surrendering His voice. That's what His system is all about. That's what He desires. And when we could not be obedient to that because we are lawbreakers, He sent His only begotten Son into this earth to rescue us so that we now can be obedient to that in Christ Jesus. Not only were they ignorant of God's system, looking at how they were 
ignorant to the things of God. They were ignorant to God's salvation. Ignorant to God's salvation. Here Jesus is the light of life. Revealing Himself to them as the One who saves sinners from darkness. And they continually revealed their ignorance in trying to snuff Him out. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 gives us some insight as to why. Verse 4 says, The God of this age, speaking of Satan, the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the Gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Here they were blinded by their sin, blinded by Satan. Paul goes on to say, For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as Your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made His light shine into our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. How can we claim that these men are ignorant? Here they are in the face of Christ. Not truly seeing the light. It's because they are blinded. Maybe some of you today, you're still in your spiritual blinding. You're still blinded spiritually. My prayer for you is this, that God would graciously open your eyes to see the light of Jesus Christ today. That He would graciously extend His mercy and His grace to you, saving you, bringing you out of darkness and into His marvelous and glorious light this morning. These men were ignorant of God's salvation. 2 John verse 9 says, Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son, confirming exactly what Jesus said said of their ignorance. John 1.11 It says, He came to that which was His own, but His own did not receive Him. And the fact that they did not receive Him shows to us, divulges to us their ignorance. The fact that they were ignorant to the truth of God, ignorant to the things of God. Ignorant to God's system in all aspects. His system of worship. His system of salvation. They're also ignorant to God's sovereignty. His sovereignty. You say, man, how do you see the sovereignty of God in this passage? How do you miss it? Look at the last part. Verse 20. Because He spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his time had not yet come. They were still thinking that they could seize Christ and snuff out the light of the world. We already have seen in chapter 7, verse 30, they attempted to seize Jesus and failed because it was not yet his time. In 744, we see again they attempt to, to seize Jesus, but they couldn't because it was not yet his time. Here in verse 20 of chapter 8, they're doing it again, trying to seize Him, but they can't because it's not time. In 8.59, you're going to see it again. In 10.39, you're going to see them try to get Him again. And they cannot snuff out the light of the world. He is sovereign God over all. Not until it was time. Many will say, but they eventually killed Him. Yeah, they did. But he didn't change his sovereignty because he says this in John chapter 10, verse 18. He lets them know, no one takes my life. But I lay it down. 
No one takes my life, but I lay it down. And at the appointed time where he decided that in, in eternity past, in the wise counsel of God, when they decided that at that time it would happen, I can assure you this, it happened. And it didn't happen before then, and it wouldn't have happened after then. And these men neglected to see the sovereign hand of God working in this whole situation. How could they not see it? Attempt after attempt after attempt to invalidate Him, to dismiss Him, to seize Him, to have Him arrested, to kill Him. Attempt after attempt after attempt to do this, and they continually failed. Because it was not yet God's set sovereign time. They showed their ignorance of God's sovereignty. Oh, isn't that what happens in our culture when men try to snuff out Jesus? They show their ignorance to the sovereignty of God. Can I assure you of this, and all believers in this room, I hope you testify to the same, that you know this to be scripturally true. They will not ever snuff out the light of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. We can rest assured of that. I wish some Christians would get excited about that. That we have hope even in the midst of a perverse and wicked and ungodly generation that wants to snuff out the truth of Jesus Christ. Wicked man as we know is still in an attempt erroneously to snuff out the light of Jesus Christ in this same way. They are constantly dismissing Jesus' claims. Dismissing the claims from the Word of God. They are constantly depending only upon their human reasoning. They are constantly divulging how they are ignorant to the things of God and the truth of God and the sovereignty of God. Why is this so dangerous? Why do you worry about it so much, Kurt? Because if you disregard Jesus, please listen to me as we close. If you disregard Jesus, there's no other Savior for sinners. You have no hope of forgiveness of sin. You have no hope of a right relationship with God. You have no hope of eternal life. Why do I preach these things? Why do I preach of the dangers of disregarding Jesus? Because if you disregard Jesus, there is no other Savior that has been provided or ever will be provided. He is the only name given under heaven whereby men must be saved. You say, we got that by now. You say it every week. And I hope I do till they sew my lips shut. He's our only hope. I can assure you this, this ignorant sinner would have busted hell wide open if I was left to my own human reasoning and my own depraved mind. I'm thankful that God graciously intervened through Jesus Christ, the Savior, by opening my eyes to see the truth. May He open your eyes to that truth today. Why? Because there's no other Savior who will save the sinner. You disregard Jesus. Not only do you disregard the only Savior, you're left to only your depraved mind. Romans chapter 1 speaks of those who are left to their depraved mind. We're seeing it in our culture today. You know what it says three times in that short passage from verse 18, I believe it's to verse 27. Chapter 1 of Romans. 
It says three times in that short passage, God gave them over. God gave them over. God gave them over. What did He give them over to? Their human intellect. Their human reasoning. Their depraved, sinful minds. That's what He gave them over to. And in giving them over, they did detestable things and are doing detestable things that we can't even, as redeemed people, wrap our minds around anymore that someone could be so depraved. We warned them. Because if you ignore the light of the world, the only other option that you have is your depraved, sinful mind. Your depraved, sinful mind, I assure you of this, will lead you into wickedness and darkness and away from God and His will. Number three, if you disregard Jesus, you remain in your ignorance and your unbelief. Why do we preach Jesus? So that men won't remain in their spiritual ignorance and unbelief. Why do we preach Him every week? So that men will remain in their spiritual ignorance and unbelief. Because how will they know lest a preacher tell them? Why do we leave here every Sunday and share the Gospel with our co-workers and our family members and those who we come in contact with on the street? Why? Because if they remain in their ignorance and their unbelief, just as if I would have remained in my ignorance and unbelief, discarding and rejecting Christ, I would spend an eternity in hell facing the wrath of God for all eternity that belongs to me because I am a sinner. I'm thankful today that when I was a sinner, at my worst, Christ Jesus died for me. And He rescued me. Not because I had anything good to offer Him. Not because there was anything good in me, but only because of His grace. For it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. So what should I do? You're that person who's here today in that dangerous situation, that dangerous dilemma. Hear the Word of truth today. Hear the Word of truth today. Hear and believe the truth that has been proclaimed. The truth of who Jesus is. The truth of where He came from. What He came here to do as He died on a cross and was buried and rose again in your place. Hear the truth today and believe in that truth over anything else. Over what science tells you or human intellect tells you or whatever next conspiracy or thought that the world is going to come up with or philosophy or idea, whatever it is. Don't cling to those things. Cling to the truth of Christ by faith. Believe in Him and Him alone today. Trusting in Him as your Lord and your Savior. Repenting of your sin. Turning from your wickedness. Your unbelief. And turning to Christ, the only true light of the world, who is the light of life. Is the light of life. Would you turn to Him today? To the Christian, I would say this. Would you continue to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ to all who you meet while you still have breath in your body so that others can hear, so that others can believe and repent? and be saved. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank You for Your Word. We pray now, Holy Spirit, that You do as only You can do. That You would regenerate wicked hearts, wicked minds. That You would draw them out of darkness and into light by Your grace and by Your mercy to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, giving them the faith to believe, empowering with the strength to repent, 
that they would today kneel and confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That they would be forgiven and cleansed according to Your promises. They would receive the eternal life that You promised to all who believe and trust in You. Thank You, Jesus, for Your faithfulness to save the sinners. May sinners call on the name of the Lord today and be saved. Holy Spirit, we yield to You in this time. May You have Your way. May Your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Key Life Fellowship Pulpit Ministry Podcast. If you would like to talk with one of our pastors, please email us at info at keylifefellowship.org or call us at 281-689-1604. You can also visit our website at www.keylifefellowship.com. We hope and pray you have a blessed week. And remember, you are light in the darkness.